Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are doing a really big deep dive into the Old Testament this summer. So we started with Judges, Samson, all of those fun people. Then we went into Proverbs, the wisdom, and we're landing right now for the next four weeks in the life of David, okay? So King David, I'm gonna start with a little bit of a backstory. King David is a really interesting biblical character. One, because he takes up so much space in the Bible, like about four books, um, a, little, a little less, like he doesn't do all of the four books, but that's a big chunk of the Old Testament. He's the most developed character next to Jesus. And both those things alone should make us wonder, why is David so important? Like, why is he such a big part of the narrative of the Bible? And what is that trying to tell us as believers in the 21st century? Uh, King David is a result of judges, right? So we have to know that as well. The, the Israelites were led by God for so long and then God, it got to their head. They were like, I, we need a king. Everyone else around us has a king. We need a king, God. So Samuel the prophet said, fine, I'll give you a king. We meet Saul in the beginning of 1 Samuel. He was kind of great. And then he became a wreck, like an absolute wreck. Like he didn't know what he was doing. He just was like doing all these terrible things. And Samuel was like too Saul to his face. God isn't with you anymore. So what happens is we need a new king. And so Samuel is trying, is, is, is hearing from God to, to have a new king. And that's where we meet David. It is prophesied before that this new king would be a man after God's own heart. This is a big title, a man after God's own heart, a man one after God's heart. This is something that's so that hasn't been said before, it's such a big deal that this is what Samuel's prophesying, especially after this horrible king and after the Israelites have just not listened to God. But God is again, I will give you a man after my own heart. I will give you a king that is going to be with you and save you and be wonderful. And so that's when we meet David. Right at the beginning, we realize in 1 Samuel 16 that David's different. Samuel is going about this differently. It is not, he's not anointing a king in the way that would normally happen. And immediately we should be like, wow, this is, this is different. This is not how we've met kings before. This is not how this like paradigm or how someone would, would ascend to be a king would happen in the, in the Old Testament. Um, the Bible Project, Tim Mackey has a really good article and it says the stories of David weren't preserved and crafted merely out of historical interest. The story of David's humble origins came to eponymize the ideal king, a ruler who wasn't exalted over Israel by human expectations or standards. Rather, he was elevated by God's own grace and surprising creativity. Immediately we're, we're met, when, when we begin to learn about David, it's really easy to get swept up in like the amazingness and how brave he is and how just like courageous he is, right? We've always heard this story, especially with Goliath, which is what we'll get into. But I want us to, to, to take a step back and to realize that it is not David who the Bible's trying to point us to. The Bible's in David's story is really pointing us to Jesus. 
Because David's life is a mirror. There's so many overlapping themes with Jesus that David shows us. And so to be reminded that we're not going to want to be like David, we're gonna be like Jesus. And David is a beautiful way of pointing us to the cross and what that looks like going forward. Because we do live in, in the amazing future, past David, that has experienced the life with Jesus. And so that's what this story, I think, is just an amazing picture of, what it looks like to fully trust in Jesus and to how how he really does meet us in in all places. So um, I was this week years old when I found out that this story of David is like 67 verses, 76 verses. So with that, this whole chapter 16 and 17, the anointing and David and Goliath. So we're not really gonna go through it word by word because that would take a very long time. So we're gonna kind of like go through it a little quicker. Like I'll summarize bits and chunks of it, but I would really read it. It's a really amazing story with so much nuances. And when I started reading it this week with that, with the lens of Jesus's life, it was pretty incredible. Like the, the overlaps you see, the things that you, that are, that like jump out to you in the scripture are pretty amazing. So all of you guys should have Bibles on the front. If you want to open up with me, we're going to go to first Samuel 16. That's where we first meet David, um, at the beginning. So As we're reading this story, David is ultimately human. We're ultimately human. So there are going to be a really important human experiences that we do relate to in this story. And it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like um, that someone so human can have such a big impact, right? Like this is just a beautiful way to to engage in this, um, in this story. So first Samuel 16, right? 16 to about 14 is when we first meet David, right? And and at the beginning, the Lord tells Samuel, verse one, how long will you mourn for Saul? And right away, God's not telling Samuel to not mourn. That's like pretty insensitive. He is telling him that you've mourned for a long time and now it is time to, to find a new king. It's time to move on from Saul because I've given Saul so many chances. He's not, he's not getting any better, Samuel. Like he's just not, he's not getting it. And so we need to move on because Israel needs a king because that's what they said. And they're failing miserably as we will come to see in in chapter 17. So since I have rejected you as king, fill your horn, horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Bethlehem. I have chosen one of Jesse's son, or I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So immediately we don't even meet David first. We meet his family. We don't meet David. We don't, meet, we don't know anything about him. We meet his family first, which is really important to see. And then the next few sections is all about how Samuel doesn't want to get killed because like Saul's kind of, doesn't really like when people don't listen to him. And so he's like, take a heifer to sacrifice, all those, all those things. We meet David after we meet all of his other brothers. Samuel comes to Jesse and was like, I'm going to anoint one of your, one of your sons. The first one comes, right? Surely this is the Lord's anointed one that stands before me. And it's really interesting because Saul was crowned king because of his stature. He was a huge guy, big, really like intimidating looking, looked really like regal. And that's why Samuel was like, oh, Saul's amazing because of how he looks. 
right? And so when Samuel's here asking the first son, surely this man that stands, because he's of huge stature before me, is it. And that's when the amazing verse comes along, um, verse 17, right? And he goes, wait, seven, sorry, I did that wrong. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look out the things people look at. The people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, so... The Lord does not look at what people look at, right? We're seeing this immediately already. God's like, we are no, we're not gonna look at his outsides. We did that once, it was terrible. Well, we're not gonna do it again. I want a man after my own heart. So the heart is what's going to matter. Following suit, seven sons walk before him, right? Seven sons walk before Samuel. None of them are it. God's rejected all of them. You're like, okay, well, who is it? And, and, and Samuel's like, none of these people, none of, the, none of these sons are it, Jesse. Like, do you have any more? And he's like, yeah, I have the, my youngest. He's like out in the fields. And Samuel's like, call him. He needs to come. And they're like, we're not gonna sit. Big deal, we're not gonna sit. All those brawler, brothers are probably so frustrated. They're standing up. They, they, they don't even to be honest, probably like this younger brother, because if we're really being clear, tending to sheep was the lowest of jobs in a family. Like it was like the worst. It was like the runt work. No one wanted to do it. It was only the lowliest of people that did it. He wasn't even asked. He wasn't even considered a son until Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? That's when he was like, oh no, yeah, I, I guess I have another one. So they wait, they stand for how, who knows how long. I can't imagine people traveling very fast there to like get information across. So they're standing, they're probably really tired. And David walks in. David walks in from his job. David walks in being dirty and messy and smelly because he's been doing hard labor all day long. He hasn't showered, he hasn't cleaned up. And Samuel's like, this is it. This is my anointed one. Can you imagine the picture? Can you imagine the shock on those brothers' faces? Because he's not supposed to be anything special, right? He's the youngest. He's the runt. He's little. He's small. He's not of age. He, he doesn't really even like exist except to take care of the sheep. And Samuel says, rise, the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel left. So immediately we see David's anointed. It's a big deal. Anointing doesn't happen all the time. Anointing is when, um, so back in the Old Testament, uh, the, the spirit of God, like the Holy Spirit that we have now, was not welcome for everyone. Everyone didn't have access to the spirit of God. So, uh, so Samuel had to go and anoint people. You had to be invited and God had to speak for you to get anointed. So it was really, really important and such a big deal, but, but nothing changes, right? David stays in his job. He stays where he's living. And then Samuel leaves. He doesn't take Samuel. He doesn't take David with him. He doesn't become a king, right? He immediately gets anointed. This, the powerful spirit of the Lord comes upon him. 
And then Samuel leaves and he's stuck with his brothers and has to go back out into the sheep. He keeps his job, he keeps his stature. He doesn't change like birth order. Like he doesn't, he doesn't get promoted, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't get any of the benefits of being a king. And at this moment, I'm reminded of Jesus's life, right? 30 years of quietness before he was able to have his ministry. David, all these years of quiet, right? The years between him being anointed and knowing that he's called until he actually encounters and has a, um, a moment to show that, that he is the anointed one and he is the true king of Israel, right? Like the, it takes a while for that, to, for that to happen. And then we, then at the last section of 16, we, the spirit comes on David, immediately departs from Saul. And then Saul is tormented by a really intense spirit. And what's really cool is what happens is that um, because of this, they realize his, the people around Saul that music really helps. And David happens to be a, a, a lyre player. And so David is called on and comes into Saul's service and starts playing lyre for, music for him to make him feel better because this tormenting spirit is really driving him crazy. And then he becomes his armor bearer. So you see how like little by little, David is inching his way towards this position, right? And I think what's so interesting about this too is that David, you don't even hear David's side. It kind of just like happens. But we have to be mindful too, we'll see later. He's still caring for his sheep. He's still, he's still doing these like really lowly, dirty job of, of that has, that is benefiting no one, including himself. Uh, and so that's where we end chapter 16, right? He's in Saul's service. He's an armor bearer. David is anointed, but his life hasn't changed. He's still living his youngest brother life with his brothers who probably really just don't care for him too much. Then we get into chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17, we meet Goliath, right? A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So immediately the biblical authors are, are trying to put in a picture of this huge dude, like intimidating, scary. Um, he like is a terrifying image. And then we learn immediately following Goliath, hearing this really intense description, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the, Saul, so King Saul, and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Like they just fled. Right, like they just like left, like they didn't. They were like, "This is like a little bit too much. This is too scary." Saul is like, King Saul is like, "This is too scary." Um, he's like, "Gonna defeat all of us." Let's like pretend like he doesn't exist. Is kind of what I think they're doing. Um, and for forty days, morning and night, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. They are terrified, trembling in their boots, don't know what to do. It's all the, the army can talk about. Like they're, they're who's going to kill this guy? He's going to defeat us. Um, what's going to happen? 
At the same time, they had no trust in their current king because Saul was also hiding behind everyone. Like he was terrified and and scared. It's not just him. And this dude, Goliath, really just liked to hear himself talk. He loved his own voice, right? Like he loved it. He kept going on and on, like every morning and every night had the same speech because he wanted to intimidate these people. And he knew how to do it. He knew the exact words to trigger them. He knew exactly what was scary about him and used it to his advantage. Then the battle happened. David is the youngest, the smallest, right? Um, we're not sure the age range. Like he's, he's under 20, Like, so he's young, right? Let's just say 18. Some say he's like 17. Some say he's 21. Like just in that general range, he's, he's still very, very young and we meet him. And I think the biblical authors are also trying to, to do this really contrasting images, right? We learn in chapter 16, David is small, ruddy, handsome, like youthful, Goliath, huge, intimidating, like burly and just like massive. Like we immediately see these contrasting images that the biblical authors are wanting us to see in our head for a picture. So we, we go onto the scene, we're, we're here. David comes to bring his brothers food and to meet them. And he has to leave his sheep, which is already showing us that he, he has a job that he's doing. And he goes and he brings food to his brothers. And then when he gets there, David hears the taunting of the Philistines. And when he hears them, the soldiers immediately run away. And David is running too. We already see this like differing opinions about what David does compared to the the Israelites, his people, because the Israelites are running away as David is running too. We see this contrasting images, right? Like how David is wanting to go and to face this, this Goliath creature, and the Israelites are going backwards. They're retreating. Then he meets his brothers, and he asks, like, what's happening? And then verse 26 of 17, uh, when Eliba, his oldest brother, guys, we're not good at pronunciation here. That's not my forte. We've talked about this a lot. David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And then David says, now what have I done? Asked David, can't I even speak? immediately you're struck with the fact that his family has forsaken him. His family doesn't like him. His family doesn't want him there. He's literally bringing them food to be nice. And, he, and the, the brother's like, you, have a, you are conceited of heart. And I think it's really kind of pointed because what was prophesied about David beforehand? That he'd be a man after God's own heart. So it's really interesting that his brother is going for the heart, right? Like these like images of you are conceited of heart, David. When David knows that's not true and David knows that, that uh, of the anointing that's on his life and he doesn't even rebuttal his brother. He doesn't try to defend himself. He just says, can't I speak? I want to know what's happening. I want to know what this, what this guy is doing. Like, is that such a big deal? And so David is here. Um, can't I even speak? And Now that we've met Goliath and now that we've seen David's response, David is having a very different reaction to Goliath than the Israelites, right? He is like, how dare this man defile God? 
How dare he do this? You already see David immediately having a different response to the terrified Israelites. This comes in, he gets really heady, and Saul hears about this. So then, so then David goes to Saul, and, and then he, David proceeds to tell Saul all the reasons that he is able to defeat this mammoth of a dude, like massive guy, this small guy. And you, you come to find out like, oh, well, David actually isn't as ill-equipped as I thought. David actually knows how to keep himself in battle. David knows how to use his hands. He knows how to fight when the odds are against him. And then Saul's like, okay, I hear you. I see you. Go for it. Let me give you my armor. So verse 32, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. David's immediate response is, I am not like you, Saul, so I cannot use your stuff. And two, I don't want to be like you, right? Like Saul has not done a good job being king. And David is showing, wow, I can be fully equipped with the Lord, even if the person above me or next to me thinks differently. What an image that, that, that's showing us, right? Like that even though we are going to do things differently from the people next to us, how God is still so faithful in that, right? Like David is, has no armor. He's chosen a sling, complete opposite of what Saul would, Saul would do. And it's pretty impressive that he's this young, standing up for himself and being like, I can't really do this, Saul. I can't, so I'm gonna do it this way. Then we go down to verse 40, and as the Philistine, so they, they get into battle, right? And so he walks over, the Philistine is like baffled, right? So verse 40, staff in hand. So then we go, he took a staff in hand, chose five. Okay, meanwhile, the Philistines with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked at David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Goliath said that. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Because Goliath immediately sees David's shaft, which is, which is signifying that he's a shepherd. He's like, you're literally giving the person with the worst job, who's next to nothing, that's who you're choosing to come fight me after you've been running away for 40 days? Like, are you kidding? Goliath is like, has no words. He has two sentences, obviously. So, um, and then he was like, you know, Tonsum, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down, cut off your head. This very day, I will give you the 
carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know I, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out the stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone stank into the Philistine's forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. So David won. Like, that's what happened, right? I think that we often, I, I didn't realize this, but this week, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath, it was a really famous book. It's what, like, propelled him into, like, famousness with that book. He talks a lot about, I, 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 don't, I don't really agree with his thesis of the book, but I really like his fresh take on David and Goliath. I think it's a really, really cool view on it about this story and what it means for us as just like humans and like the humanness that we live in. But anyways, he talks a lot about this section, slingshots. He talks a lot about what are called slingers in the Israel army and how slingshots back in those days could be more accurate and more deadly than a handgun. Within 10 to 30 meters, they can hit and be more accurate than our normal handgun. So if we wanted to put this in today's, today's like era, the Philistine was at like, if we're making like estimations I don't he talks all about the battlefield and like the distances you can fact check Malcolm Gladwell okay so he said that it was about like the pitcher's mound to home plate is about the distance that David was to Goliath so imagine being pummeled to the head at like 34 miles an hour it's a pretty intense like hit right like so he, he was prepared he knew David knew what he was doing he didn't go into this fight not knowing what he was capable of. David was actually strong. He actually had something um, to defend himself. And so that was pretty interesting, a fun fact you want to know today. So you see here that David gets taunted and he gets like so um, upset. Right? He runs to them. He runs to the Philistines and not even in his own name, not in King Saul's name either, but in the Lord's name because he knew what God had called him to. He knew what he was doing and who he was going to be and what he needed to do. And so then he wins, right? He, he, he conquers Goliath and this propels him into just like, Ownership and like he becomes this big, huge character in the Bible after after this um, after this this battle. So we've come to the end, right? We we're learning about David's youth. So we learn about his anointing, how he was young and ready, and how he comes to the battlefield and he doesn't he is does not look as prepared as everyone else, right? And but yet he knows that he is called by God, but no one knows that yet. Only he knows that, and so. There are some human aspects of this story that I think really resonate with the human experience. And the first one about David's youth is it shows an intense amount of humbleness. David was extremely humble. And this is a big deal because you're like 15 years old. What 15-year-old do you know that's humble? 
I work with kids. My seven-year-olds aren't even humble. Like, honestly, they, they like to be right. They get upset if they're wrong. So the fact that he's humble is in really big contrast to how he should be normally at this age. And he, he, he revels in the fact that he knows God's timing is right. The second thing that we see is David's youth shows an immense trust in the Lord. Again, most of the youth that I work with have a really hard time trusting people that are not their age. They really like to be know-it-alls, which I can understand. I was one too. And so this is in direct contrast, right? Instead of trusting in self, David's trusting in the Lord. In a huge way, determined that he can defeat this massive Goliath because God is with him. And the second, the last thing is David use shows how mistakes are always forgiven. Forgiveness is a huge thread throughout David's life. The Israelites have messed up. The Israelites have not had, it, have not gotten it right. They have not made good choices, but David comes in again and is like, I'm going to defeat Goliath. And the Israelites are saved again, right? Like they were not in a good position, the Israelites keep making mistakes. They keep not trusting in God. But you see again, David comes in and he saves them. What an amazing picture this is for us as believers in the 21st century, right? With Jesus, right? Jesus was obviously not present during David's life. But if we're looking back on these moments, we just see how much this just speaks to the full life in Christ, in Jesus, right? He he is with us, even if we don't want him to be. He supports us, even when we make tons of mistakes. He is constantly showing us what it looks like to be humble. When we're looking at the characters of all of, the, of this story, it's really easy to want to be like David and to, to, to want to be like brave and courageous and to be able to fight um, so strongly. But I think if we're being really honest, most me and probably most of us would probably land more in the camp of the Israelites. Doubtful, scared, not sure of what's to come. Can I really trust that God is going to provide? I'd rather just run away or I'd rather just ignore. Or maybe the, the Philistine side. I don't agree with God, right? He's been against me. I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing, but we see again and again how Jesus meets us, how Jesus is so real. And despite the Goliaths in our lives, how Jesus wants to meet us and give us so much freedom and so much compassion and so much love and for to tell you that you're not alone. I think that's the biggest thing that I see in David's story is David is never alone. He never talks about being alone. He never talks about wanting more, but he's, he's content and able to see how God is working in his life. And so there are so many moments in our lives where, where life is overwhelming, where we're scared, where we don't know what's to come. Transitions are happening, right? So what would it look like today or this week for you to trust that God that Jesus is with you in those moments? What would it look like for you to stand there looking at your Goliath and be like, God, I know that you are gonna deliver me from this. I know that you are gonna be here with me. 
I trust that you can provide for me. I can trust that you will be with me, that I will not be alone. And also trusting that God can can be present. Jesus is with you. And that there is nothing that you have to do except to trust in the Lord and to be present and hands open and willing to receive him. It's such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to fully trust in the Lord when things are not going your way. Um, So with that, would you pray with me? Um, Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful and amazed for just your goodness. We're so amazed at how you continually meet us despite us being scared, despite us turning backwards, despite all of the things of our humanness that make us flawed. So God, as we're here, as we are imagining these Goliaths in our life that are just really, really intense or really unknown or just really uncomfortable, God, would you show us and meet us and learn to trust you with our hands open? May we learn and rely and renew our faith in the fact that you are good and that you know us and that you will never leave us. We love you and just let me pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.